Have you ever had one of those days, you know what I'm talking about, one of those days where everything just seems to, to not go the right way, uh, where everything seems to be out of control and, and nothing's going right, and you know, some of you are like, it's been one of those years or one of those decades, you know, I don't know, but one of my favorite Christmas movies is Home Alone. And uh, the best part of the movie is, is toward the end when, when Harry and Marv, a.k.a. the Wet Bandits, uh, decide that they're going to try and break into Kevin McAllister's house. And uh, they think that uh, the house is vacant, that the family is off on vacation for Christmas, but they had left Kevin home alone. And so he's there, and he's protecting the house from Harry and Marv. And the greatest part of the movie to me is that Kevin sets up the house, this little house of horrors, uh, for Harry and Marv as they try to come in and break into the house. And as you, as you go through this scenario, these scenes, as they're trying to break in, what you realize is that Harry and Marv have absolutely no control over what is going on, right? Uh, he's got... He's got flaming hot uh, door handles and icy stairs and, and goop and floors that give way and, and irons and things that are coming and hitting them in the head. I mean, they are just going through all of these little traps and all of these little tricks that Kevin is leading them through, and Kevin is in complete control. Harry and Marv are, have no idea what is going on. And I want you and I to understand today that you and I have absolutely no control over what's going on. Now, we may have the illusion sometimes to think that we're in control, but you and I have absolutely no control over what is going on. But the good news is that we have a God who does. And God is not like some petulant child like Kevin. God is a good and faithful king who loves you and he's in control of what's happening in your life. And so as we continue our series called Exiles today, we, we arrive at Daniel chapter 4. And this sermon today is entitled, The Sovereignty of God. And this sermon really could be point number four of last week's sermon. Last week's sermon was about trusting God in trials and, and how we are to, to, to trust the Lord no matter what it is that we're going through. And this sermon today really builds upon last week's sermon because as we look at our lives, we may realize that we have absolutely no control over anything that's going on, but that's not how it is with God. And so the question that we've been asking as we've walked through this series called Exiles is this. How are we supposed to live out our faith in a world that's not our home? And the answer, according to the word of God today, is by resting in the sovereignty of God. By resting in the sovereignty of God. So if you have your Bibles this morning, I'd ask that you'd stand in, in honor of God's word if you're able we're going to be in Daniel chapter 4 today, and I want to read to you verses 34 and 35. Daniel chapter 4, verses 34 and 35, the word of God says, But at the end of those days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven, and my sanity returned to me. Then I praised the Most High, and honored and glorified him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion. And his kingdom is from generation to generation. 
All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing. And he does what he wants with the army of heaven and the inhabitants of the earth. There is no one who can block his hand or say to him, what have you done? Thank you. You may be seated. As we look at chapter 4 today and we think about how we're going to take this this passage of scripture that's thousands of years old and apply it into our lives in 2021, the action step for us today is this, to daily seek humility in God's sovereignty. So as you're listening today and, and, and working through this passage of scripture, I want you to consider how can I daily seek humility knowing that God is in control. And so the first thing that we see in this passage is that the sovereignty of God produces reverence in us. That the sovereignty of God would produce reverence. Now, last week we saw where Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego were thrown into the fiery furnace. They are rescued by the Lord and and brought out of the furnace. And so we arrive here at chapter 4 and Nebuchadnezzar is having another dream. This isn't the first dream that he's had. You'll remember he's had some dreams before. Daniel had interpreted a dream for him earlier in this book. And much like the earlier dream, this dream bothers Nebuchadnezzar. And so he, he calls again on all of his wise men to, to try and to, to interpret the dream for him and to show him what it means. And just like before, they couldn't. And so he turns to Daniel and uh, ask him again, because Daniel is a righteous man who serves the one true God. And he, he tries to, to seek his counsel. And God gives Daniel understanding, once again, of Nebuchadnezzar's dream and the interpretation of it. Now, you'll find the dream earlier in Daniel chapter 4, beginning in verse 10. This is the, the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had. He says, there was a tree in the middle of the earth, and it was very tall. And the tree grew large and strong. Its top reached to the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful. Its fruit was abundant. And on it was food for all. Wild animals found shelter on it. The birds of the sky lived in its branches. Every creature was fed from it. I saw in the visions of my mind a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven. And he called out loudly, cut down the tree, chop off its branches, strip off its leaves, and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches, but leave the stump with its roots in the ground and with a band of iron and bronze around it in the tender grass of the field. Let him be drenched with dew from the sky and share the plants of the earth with the animals. Let his mind be changed from that of a human and let him be given the mind of an animal for seven periods of time. Now, this is obviously a very disturbing dream to Nebuchadnezzar. And so he's asking, what is going on here? What does this mean? And Daniel explains it to him, and the message of the dream is quite clear. This this tree represents Nebuchadnezzar. It it represents his kingdom. It's big. It's glorious. It, it, It extends so that you can see it from the whole earth. And yet the tree is going to be chopped down, and it's going to have a, a, a band around it. And he says that it's, he's going to become uh, and have the mind of a wild animal. And as we continue through chapter 4, we see that this is exactly what's going to happen to Nebuchadnezzar. 
And so as, as, as Daniel begins to interpret the dream to Nebuchadnezzar, what he explains is this, is that although you may uh, rise to the highest of heights, although all the peoples of the earth would turn to you and look to you as a great and powerful king, you don't even begin to compare to the glory of God. He says you don't even begin to compare. You are nothing in the sight of God. He is the king over kings. He is the Lord over lords. And we get to verse 17 at the end of this description of the dream. It says that this word is by decree of the watchers and the decision is by command from the holy ones. This is so that the living will know that the most high is ruler over human kingdoms. He gives them to anyone he wants and sets the lowliest of people over them. And so understanding who God is and who we are should produce reverence in us. I mean, just consider who God is. God is eternal. He has always existed from eternity past. He will always exist into eternity future. God is omnipotent. He has all power over all things. God is omniscient. He knows all things, and there's not one thing that he doesn't know or that he doesn't understand. God is omnipresent. He is over all places, and there is nowhere that you can go to hide from his dominion. God is creator. Everything that is owes its existence to him. God is sustainer. He holds all things together. And this is the God that we serve. That's why Job says in Job 42 verse 2, I know that you can do anything and that no plan of yours can be thwarted. You can do anything. Pastor R.C. Sproul says that there's not one piece of cosmic dust that's outside the scope of God's sovereign providence. And so what this means is that God is in control and that you're not. You're not. We may think that we are, but you're not. I mean, here's all the things that, that God did just so that you'd survive today. He made the sun to rise to give you warmth and to grow the food that you eat. He made the rain to fall so that you could drink it for nourishment. He made your heart to beat and the blood to flow through your veins. He made your lungs to fill up with air so that you would breathe. He made the synapses fire in your brain to control all of your body's movements. He orders all the things around you so as you go throughout your day. I mean, every good gift has come down from him. And we're but the dust of the earth. We're a vapor that's here today and gone tomorrow. Just a, a, a blip in eternity. And yet God condescends to meet with us here today in this place. And so when you recognize who God is and who we are, it just seems sort of strange that we would even struggle with pride. But boy, that was Nebuchadnezzar's downfall. He was prideful before the Lord. I mean, how crazy is it that he has a dream 
about a great giant statue that's going to be crushed by a stone back in chapter 2 that Daniel interprets for him. And then when you get to chapter 3, he basically builds the statue. He builds a giant 90-foot statue of himself. Right after he had had a dream about it, he builds this giant statue of himself. I mean, pride is definitely Nebuchadnezzar's problem. It's not just his problem, though, is it? In James chapter 4, verse 6, the Bible says that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. That, that passage where it says that he resists, it means he opposes. And this is one of the verses that, man, God has just solidified in my mind that he opposes the proud. I mean, just think about it. The God that we were just describing a minute ago, imagine him being opposed to you. But he says he opposes the proud but he gives grace to the humble. Daniel, on the other hand, was humble before God. I mean, after all, the Hebrew people are in exile for basically the same reason. They had rebelled against the authority of God. They had turned away from him. And that's why they're here to begin with. But we find Daniel humbled before God. And as we look at our lives, God's sovereignty should produce reverence in us as well. And so the sovereignty of God should produce reverence. But secondly, as we continue in this passage, the sovereignty of God should produce repentance. When you recognize who God is and revere him, that should also stir repentance in our heart that we would dare to disobey him. That we would dare disobey the God that we described a few minutes ago. But that's exactly what Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar as he's interpreting this dream for him. You get to verse 27, and he says, Therefore, may my advice seem good to you, my king. Separate yourself from your sins by doing what's right, and from your injustices by showing mercy to the needy. Perhaps there will be an extension of your prosperity. He says to Nebuchadnezzar, you need to repent. Listen, your sin is is bringing these consequences in your life. You've lifted yourself up and you've not acknowledged the Lord as God. But perhaps if you would repent, he'll show you grace. And that's the exact posture that we have to take before the sovereign king of the universe. We're not trying to trick him or to outsmart him or to manipulate him. We're not trying to bully him or to outrun him or to overthrow him. We are bowing down before him. Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, Paul writes, For everything was created by him. In heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He's before all things and by him all things hold together. This is our sovereign king. And yet, you and I try to act as our own sovereigns. If you go back to the beginning of the Bible and beginning of Genesis, that was the lie, right? That was the lie that the serpent, the temptation that the serpent brought to Adam and to Eve, is that if you, you'll eat of this, you can become like God. That was the, that was the temptation. 
You can be in control. You can be God. You can be sovereign. And we still buy this lie day after day after day. When we choose to sin, we are saying, I want what I want. I know better than God. I am the one that's in control here. I can be like God. And sin is insanity in the light of the sovereignty of God. I mean, just think about it. I mean, just stop and think about it for a moment. Sin is insanity when you consider the sovereignty of God. That he is in control over every aspect of creation. He's the creator of all things. And yet we say, I'm going to push back on that. Right? The one that can speak life into existence by his very word. And we're going to say, I'm going I'm to push on him a little bit. Nebuchadnezzar was warned in this dream. And then he acted in pride anyway. Right? I mean, imagine having this dream that they're going to cut the tree down, that they're going to strip all of its branches, and, and that, and that uh, there's going to be this uh, chain there on the stump, and, and it's going to be like a wild animal, and then continuing to be in pride anyway. When you get to verse 28, it says, All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, as he was walking on the roof, of the royal palace in Babylon, the king exclaimed, is this not Babylon the great that I have built to be a royal residence by my vast power and for my majestic glory? I mean, when you, when you read him saying these things, you go, wow, is he really that dumb, right? I mean, he would get out on the, the veranda and say, boy, my, my, my majestic power has done all these things. And you read these passages and you go, man, how crazy is Nebuchadnezzar? But we do the same thing. We might not use the same words, but it's the same attitude. And so then he suffers the consequences of his pride. He's made to be like a wild animal. The kingdom is taken from him. And yet he still has a second chance to repent. That's what we read earlier at the very beginning of this sermon. He had a second chance to repent. And what I want you to know this morning is that you and I have been warned about the consequences of our sin, just like he was in a dream. Our warning comes in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, where it says the wages of your sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And we suffer the consequences of sin in our lives. But how many chances do you think that you're going to get to repent? How many chances do you think you're going to get? I want you to pay close attention, Christians to how, ne how Daniel interacts with Nebuchadnezzar in this passage. If you go back to verse 19, as he begins to interpret this dream, it says, Then Daniel, whose name is Belteshazzar, was stunned for a moment, and his thoughts alarmed him. And the king says, Belteshazzar, don't let the dream or its interpretation alarm you. And so Belteshazzar answered, My Lord, may the dream apply to those who hate you and its interpretation to your enemies. And so Daniel sees the dream of Nebuchadnezzar 
and he is alarmed, it says, and he doesn't want this tragedy to befall the king. Did y'all get that? That's what he's saying here to Nebuchadnezzar. Let this happen to someone else and not to you. And that might not be what you were expecting as you were walking through Daniel chapter 4, right? What we think is that Daniel would be really excited at this moment. (laughs) Now this ungodly king is going to get what he deserves. Now this unrighteous man, God is going to bring the hammer down on him. And if we were honest, this is the attitude that we often have. But instead of the desire to see the ungodly fall, do we desire to see the ungodly repent and be restored? Because we, would, we shouldn't want to throw stones, we should want to throw grace into the lives of of people who are far from God because that's the character of God. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, he says, The Lord does not delay his promise as some understand delay, but he's patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. And so does the sovereignty of God produce repentance in you? The last thing that we see in this passage this morning is that the sovereignty of God produces reverence, it produces repentance, but thirdly, it produces restoration. And this is what we read at the very beginning of of our sermon today in verse 34. All of these things that the dream uh, alerted happened in Nebuchadnezzar's life. He, He becomes like a wild beast. And in verse 34, it says, At the end of those days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven, and my sanity returned to me. And then I praised the Most High and honored and glorified him who lives forever. Here, Nebuchadnezzar is going through repentance and he turns to God and is restored. And that's because God is a good God. He's a merciful God and a kind God. He's loving and forgiving and he's able to turn the dead into life. He's able to turn hate into love. He's able to mend broken pieces. He's able to restore. And that's what's happening here in a physical sense in Nebuchadnezzar's life. He's no longer like this wild beast that's described in verse 33 where he's driven away from people and eating grass like cattle and his body is drenched with dew from the sky. His hair grew like eagle's feathers, nails like bird's claws. I mean, he's, he's, a, he's a beast at this point. But now we find him physically restored, but it's more than just a physical change that's occurring here in Nebuchadnezzar's life. If you look down to verse 37, hear what he says. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and glorify the king of the heavens because all his works are true and his ways are just. He is able to humble those who walk in pride. Me, is what Nebuchadnezzar is saying. Me. He's able to humble those who walk in pride. And these are the last words that are recorded of Nebuchadnezzar in the scriptures. He's able to humble those who walk in pride. 
And he was restored then. This is a different man that would say something like this. His attitude is different. His heart is different. He's been changed on the inside. And I guess, you know, being humble to live as a wild beast can do that to you. But what I want you to realize this morning is this. God is willing to go to great lengths to turn your attention and affection to him. Because this is why you were created. You were created to have fellowship, to have relationship with him. And so these consequences of sin that come into your life are warnings for you. It's not punishment yet. The consequence of your sin in hell for eternity, that's punishment. But the consequence that you're experiencing today is God trying to draw you back to himself. It's warnings. It's actually the mercy of God in your life. But the problem is that for many people, they don't heed these obvious warnings. They don't repent and return when God is using the consequences of our sin to correct us and to draw us to himself. Instead, a lot of times we, we face these consequences of our sin and we turn on the Lord. And we'll say things like, God doesn't really love me or God really isn't in control of the things that are happening to me or why would this be happening? Priscilla Shire says that God's sovereignty has not been shipwrecked by your storm. And so when you don't return to God here or here, or here, or here, as he continues to speak into your life and to uh, allow some consequences of your poor choices to draw you back to him and you continue to double down in your sin and continue to be obstinate and to go away from the Lord, eventually it leads to death and eternity in hell as punishment for your sin. But all along the way, God is calling out to you. And he's trying to pull you back. And you may be ignoring God's calling in your life even right now. And I want you today to heed God's voice in your life. Listen here so that you don't hear the words here. Depart from me for I never knew you. Are you, are you hearing what I'm saying? Daniel here was, was waiting for the restoration of God's people. Babylon had just had their king restored, but ironically, Israel hasn't. And it might look like good things are happening to bad people, right? Everybody, anybody ever said that before? I mean, it's like, well, why... Why is Nebuchadnezzar restored and Israel still in exile? But we're in the same shoes as these Israelites. We're waiting for the fulfillment of God's promise that he's going to restore all things through Christ. The great Baptist preacher Charles Spurgeon once wrote that the sovereignty of God is the pillow upon which the Christian rests his head. We can rest in the sovereignty of God, knowing that he's in control so you don't have to be.
And he's working everything out for his glory and our ultimate good. And he is faithful and he is true. And God brings to us restoration through the coming of Jesus, this king who came to establish his eternal kingdom. And God is in control of all of it in his sovereignty. In fact, this is what they say in Acts chapter 4, verses 27 and 28. It says, In this city, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, assembled together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, to do whatever your hand and your will had predestined to take place. So even in the darkest moment, God was at work. The cross and the grave didn't shut the door on God's plan. No, the door was opened on the third day. And God's plan of salvation for mankind was realized. And he has promised to us that he's going to come again to restore all things. And to wipe out sin and death forevermore. And so we can trust him no matter what you are facing. This past week, one of the great Christian authors, pastors, uh, by the name of Tim Keller, he's a pastor of a church in Manhattan, put out a tweet. And this is what his tweet says. I have stage four pancreatic cancer, but it is endlessly comforting to have a God who is both infinitely more wise and more loving than I am. He has plenty of good reasons for everything he does and allows that I cannot know. And therein is my hope and strength. And so here is a faithful Christian pastor and author who has a death sentence as far as physical illnesses go. And yet he's resting in the sovereignty of God. And although you and I have absolutely no control over anything that's going on. That's not how it is with him. And so how do we live out our faith in a world that's not our home? By resting in the sovereignty of God. Christians this morning, we said that the action step for us is to daily seek humility in God's sovereignty. And so are you walking humbly before God in reverence? Or are you saying, I can be like God? Are you repenting of sin and seeking restoration? Or are you continuing in obstinance against your sovereign king? Are you resting in the fact that God is in control? And so maybe this morning you want to spend some time in prayer at your seat or even here at this altar Saying, God, how am I going to live out my faith in this world that's not my home? I'm going to rest and trust in you. That I know that things seem out of control, but God, you're in control. You are creator and king over everything. And so I'm putting my life in your hands. There may be others here this morning who need to trust in Christ for salvation. And maybe God has warned you here, and he's warned you here, and he's warned you here. How many times do you think you're going to get a chance to repent? How many times do you think you're going to hear this good news 
that God loves you, even though you had sinned against him over and over and over. And he was patient with you, not wishing for any to perish, but for you to come to repentance. That you would turn from your sin and turn to Christ who came and lived a perfect life and who died a death in your place to take your punishment upon himself. But he rose from the grave on the third day so that today you could have life. That today you could have forgiveness in your heart if you would repent and turn to him. How many chances do you think you're going to get? Come today. Heed the voice of God in your heart to call on Christ for forgiveness and salvation this morning. As we stand and sing in a minute, there's going to be leaders here across the front, and they're there to talk with you and to pray with you and to to encourage you in this decision. And so I I want you to come. Come while you hear the voice of the Lord. But however God is speaking to you today, now's the time for us to be doers of this word and not just hearers only. Let's stand with every head bowed and every eye closed. God, thank you for your word today. Lord, for the example that we see even in Nebuchadnezzar, a man filled with pride, Lord, who you humbled and who turned to you at the end of his life. God, I pray for Christians in this place today, Lord, that we would daily seek humility in the sovereignty of God. Lord, that we would revere you and honor you as Lord. Lord, that we would repent and be restored. Lord, that we would rest knowing that you're in control. God, I pray for those who may be here that that don't have that personal relationship with you, that have never experienced the forgiveness of of God in their heart, that today they would see the error and and the folly of their sin and of their rebellion against you. And God, today they would call on Christ for forgiveness. God, for those that you may be calling to become part of this church family, I pray that they would listen to your voice in their heart and they would come and join with what you're doing here at Wallace. God, move in our hearts during this time. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.